Hello and welcome to the sermon podcast of Landmark Baptist Church, New Hampshire. I pray that this message will be a blessing to you today. There's this issue tonight that we're going to talk about this topic. Uh, you can come across various Christians and they'll give you a different take on it. And so this is very important, I think, for us to understand for a couple of reasons. But let's get to it. We'll read the passage and then we'll pray. We want to be clear about alcohol. Go to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 tonight. Believe it or not, there are Christians that say it's okay to drink. And maybe they're well-meaning Christians, or maybe they just don't understand the Bible and what it talks about when it comes to alcohol. But we're going to find out tonight what the Bible says when it comes to it. So, let's be clear tonight about alcohol and where we stand as a church, and where I believe we ought to have convictions about it. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time tonight to be able to search your word for these various topics that we're covering on Sunday nights, Lord. And uh, we've talked about numerous things that we can trace through your scriptures, principles, and commands, and uh, thoughts about um, these particular issues. And we pray tonight, Lord, that it'll be the same, that we can look through the scriptures, we can see uh, what your mind is on this topic tonight. Lord, and we know that's most important, not what so-and-so says, or brother so-and-so says, or sister so-and-so says, but what your Bible says. And so we want to look tonight to see what the scriptures say about this topic of alcohol. So help us tonight, Lord. Empty me of self. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let it be helpful and edifying and challenging to us that we can not only know ourselves, but help others as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a couple, couple points here. Many people are deceived by alcohol, and that's unbelievers and believers alike. The church must be clear, therefore, on where the Bible stands on this issue. You know, we must be clear where the Bible stands on this because there's some, from some even pulpits or places of influence, they're either ignoring the, that the Bible gives on alcohol or they're approving drinking of alcohol to a certain level. And to me, that's a danger. We must be clear as a church, because also to serve in a position of leadership in this church requires that you abstain from alcohol. We must be clear about alcohol because lives are wrecked every day by alcohol. So we must be clear, I think, on this matter of alcohol so that we can be helped personally if we're tempted or if, if we're brought in that position of whether should I drink or not, or if we know someone that's struggling, that we can help them with biblical principles to be able to show them the wisdom of what the Bible says or to help them get victory from it. Uh, and no doubt all of us know someone who drinks alcohol or someone who's an alcoholic or someone who um, takes it to the extreme, uh, or even not even to the extreme, but just the fact that they constantly have to drink, where we can maybe step in and be a help and say, let me show you what the Bible says. And so may God use us to be able to help others. But we want to be clear on it ourselves. And in any of these messages, I said, I want us to understand it as Landmark Baptist Church, but I want us to also be able to express it to others and to be able to be clear. So know enough so we can be clear to others and say, this is what the Bible says. This isn't what the pastor says. This isn't what Landmark Baptist Church says. This is what the Bible says. And if you can do that, praise God, you can be a help to someone else and you can be solid in it yourself. So as we think about this issue, we want to be clear about it. First, we want to look at the deception of alcohol, the deception at the end of verse 1 of Proverbs 20. And this is probably my 
one of the verses I go to a lot when considering this because it gives some, just some general principles about alcohol. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. The deception of alcohol. Many Christians have been deceived into thinking it's all right to drink or to condone drinking of alcohol. There are many reasons for this. Some believers just don't honestly know what the Bible says on the subject and never come to a confident decision. That's a lot of believers with a lot of different types of issues that people aren't sure about today. Well, I don't know about it. I haven't really seen it or haven't really heard whether that's true or not, so I, just, I don't really have a confident... Well, we ought to have where God is clear, we ought to be clear where his principles are true. We ought to certainly live those out. And so many, some Christians just don't know. Other sincere Christians have, has, have listened to popular Bible teachers or influencers who say drinking alcohol in moderation is okay. And you can go Google it and you'll find plenty of them. And uh, it's less and less that say you ought to abstain from it. Uh, you don't hear that too often these days. Because they're being swayed by uh, error in teaching, I believe. Others still willfully determine that it makes no difference what the Bible says and they're going to drink anyway. My concern is that none of us tonight are deceived by alcohol. Uh, no matter where you stand on it or what you think about it or, or others you know that have opinions about it, I want to make sure you understand the truth about it and that you and I aren't deceived by alcohol. Alcohol has deceived and destroyed many marriages, friendships, homes, and lives. Amen. Doesn't take much to, to look around and see that. And it's a, it's a sad case. A large percentage of those in prison tonight are there because they committed crime, crimes under the influence of alcohol. A great number of accidents are caused every year by someone intoxicated by alcohol. Alcohol negatively affects your body and can harm your brain, your heart, your liver, your pancreas, your immune system, and inc can increase your risk of certain types of cancer. And this isn't even a biblical thing. It's really just a common sense, scientific, if you will, that this medical thing, this is what actually happens. And I, when I think about these risks, just these risks, it comes to mind this verse, 2 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, which says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It reminds me that if, if there's all these risks because of this, and really anything that harms your body, anything that affects this body God's given us that ought to be the temple of the Holy Ghost, anything that alters or affects it in a negative way, we must consider this verse and say, hey, this is God's body. And that goes against today where it says it's my body. No, it's not. It's God's body. God created you. As a Christian, he owns you. He bought you with his blood. And anything we do to our bodies, we've got to consider, is it would displease God? We've got to consider, am I glorifying God by doing this? So it's clear that we are to be sober and vigilant, not allow anything to take control over us besides God. In other words, we should not be brought into the power of something else where our faculties are, are dulled or blurred. That brings this verse into light. 2 Corinthians 6.12, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things will not be helpful or profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Right? Think about that. I will not be brought under the power of any. Is it 1 Corinthians? Oh, thank you. Oh, both of them are 1 Corinthians? 
Okay, 1 Corinthians, sorry about that. 1 Corinthians 6. Stole the Bible, so that's good. <laughs> So some, some will cite the New Testament where Jesus turned water into wine and exclaimed that Jesus provided intoxicating wine and partook with them. But of course, I don't believe that one bit. And we're going to talk about it, but that would go against the word of God and the character of Jesus Christ to imply that he provided that which would cause people to get drunk or more drunk. We'll look at that passage in a bit, but just don't be deceived by alcohol. <laughs> And don't let others you love be deceived by it either. You say, well, the Bible doesn't really say much about it. So no, the Bible says plenty about it. The Bible says plenty about it. The Bible says it's unwise at the very least. At the very least, it's unwise. The sin of drunkenness. We saw the deception of alcohol, but let's look at the sin of drunkenness. Most Christians would agree that drunkenness is a sin. Would you agree with that tonight? Amen. The Bible is clear about that. In a list of sin in Galatians, that if left unrepentant and without Christ's forgiveness will keep people from salvation like any other sin, it refers amongst the various sins in this passage, it refers to also drunkenness. In Galatians 5.21, here's a bunch I'm going to read off to you, but Galatians 5.21 says envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, that's unless they repent and by faith call upon Jesus to be saved. Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, excessive riot and unruly, which is what drunkenness brings. But then it says, but be filled with the Spirit. That's why I say we ought not to be really filled uh, or brought on the power of any except for the power of God. Romans 13, 13 says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Again, I'm just showing us this, just these verses that list various sins, and of course, drunkenness is in there. And what is drunkenness? Well, that's when you drink enough and you become intoxicated. Of course, the question is, how much do you have to drink to actually be intoxicated? That's another question, but let's, let's do Proverbs 23, 21. For the drunken and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall close a man, clothe a man with rags. In Proverbs 23, go to, go to Proverbs 23 with me, verse 29. Is it, I want to read a few verses here. This talks about someone who, who is drunk. This talks about how the alcohol takes control of us and really turns us into someone different. Proverbs 23, verse 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder, Thine eyes shall behold strange woman, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. And what would that be like? You'd be just kind of tossed everywhere and just uh, moving with the waves. It says, Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. That's a sad state, isn't it? 
that last part, that just kind of stuck out of me as I was reading it. I didn't really think of that before, but I will seek it yet again. And it's that addiction to continue to go back for it and to go back for it and to get pummeled but not know where it came from, to be in a contentious situation but not even remember what happened. And along with other verses, we see that drunkenness is wrong in God's eyes. You know, and I don't think that's debated. It certainly should not be. Some Christians may, may fight you tooth and nail on some part of this, but I think all of them would say, well, yeah, that's wrong. God doesn't approve of that. We see some, some aspects of the Bible when someone's getting drunk and some things they did in the Old Testament that were wrong and sinful and caused great problems. And so, like Noah, for instance, right, got drunk. And, uh, and so they, they're, there's consequences to that, and certainly I don't think that's debated or certainly should not be. But what about drinking intoxicating beverages in general? If it has the potential to get you drunk, should you take the risk? How much do you have to drink before you're actually drunk? We know there's a certain level with drinking and driving, a certain level you have to get to when you take the breathalyzer or whatever test they have to be able to say you're drunk. And there's certain, certain jobs that uh, you get where you can't be even just even a small amount. Why? Because it takes away from your clear-headedness and your soberness and your ability to think and be vigilant. So these are some things we want to consider, but let's go to this, the mocking of wine. We saw the deception of alcohol, the, the sin of drunkenness, but let's look, look at ver, chap, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, the mocking of wine. It says this, wine is a mocker. I'll focus on wine for the time being at first and really spend a little more time with the wine because that seems to be where contention is. Of course, that can lead to other types of alcohol, and there's various types of alcohol today that you can buy and you can, you can get that all have varying amounts of alcohol percentage. But we know that someone becomes an alcoholic and drunk starting with just one drink, amen? Just starts with one. That's why I've always been raising my own son. Don't even touch anything that you wouldn't want to get wrapped up in because all it takes is one time. It takes one drink. It takes one smoke. It takes one uh, act one time doing this before you, it starts to get more comfortable. And before long, you get hooked. So the word wine in the Bible, let's do this, is most often used in a general sense. It could mean fermented or unfermented or intoxicating or unintoxicated uh, based on the context of the verse or passage. That's important to understand. When you look at it, if you just assume anywhere the word wine is, then it's talking about alcoholic wine, fermented wine, then you'd be wrong. you got to know the context and the understanding of what's being said in order to understand it. It's like saying today that you had maybe cider or eggnog, right? That could be alcoholic or non-alcoholic, depending on the person or the situation. So we determine whether the wine God is talking about in the Bible is grape juice or intoxicating drink based on the context and understanding the whole of Scripture. Uh, in Proverbs 21, 20 verse 1, for instance... It's obviously referring to alcoholic wine. Wine is a mocker. It's paired with strong drink to show that it deceives you. For other instances, Proverbs 23, we read that, verses 29 through 35, where it talks about who hath woe, who hath wounds, who hath babbling, and all that, all that stuff. It's obviously not talking about new wine or fresh squeezed grape juice, right? Because that's not going to cause that same effect. 
And so we understand it. Uh, we're told even in verse 31 not to look upon it. And that interesting, it says, don't look upon the wine when it's red, when it moveth itself aright. Don't even look on it. Why? Because looking leads to tasting. Tasting leads to drinking. Drinking leads to drunkenness. It would be important to say at this point that often when we see the word wine used in this context, alcoholic, it is in a negative, hurtful, or destructive context. Whenever you see the word wine in, the, in 99% of the cases, wine or especially strong drink, there's, it always is referring to a negative uh, hurtful consequence or connotation. Look it up and do your own search. In the spots where it's talking about wine as unfermented or not intoxicating, it doesn't. It's used in a different context. Wine mocks as it changes a person into someone else. Wine mocks as it makes you do something you wouldn't normally do or say something you wouldn't normally say. All right, it's a mocker. It makes a mockery out of you. And most people, after drinking, they wouldn't want someone to show a video of what they look like. Now, for the instances where wine is used in an unfermented context, as more like grape juice, there's cases of unfermented wine, such as the wedding in Cana. Go to John chapter 2. And I believe what I'm going to tell you here, I teach that. Uh, when we teach the story in Sunday school and other places, this is what's being taught, is that it's not alcoholic wine. That is grape juice. Let's look at it. John chapter 2. In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, again, what is wine? Today we think, well, wine, that's something you go and grab in a cooler at the, you know, at the supermarket and with a whatever percentage of alcohol content in it. It's not the same thing. It depends on the context in understanding the whole of Scripture. So as we look at this here, they wanted that. They said they have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. By the way, this is Jesus' first miracle, public miracle here. And uh, think about that as we look at the story. His mother saith unto his servants, Whatsoever he saith, do it. And there were set six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with, pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, uh, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said unto him, saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when the men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Someone interpreted that this governor of the feast was referring to intoxicating wine when he said you kept the good wine until now, but I think that's looking at it through today's eyes. Someone in the world today may say a drink was good because it was potentially intoxicating. But I believe if you research it, you'll find that uh, freshly squeezed grape juice was the good stuff and that which, which had been preferred. I see no indication whatsoever that Jesus was partaking and contributing to giving people that which would cause them to be intoxicated. That would go against what the Bible says. Wine is a mocker. So Jesus, the Son of God, the Word in flesh, would turn something into alcoholic wine so that the participants of the wedding could get dr dr drunk. Does that make sense to you? If that's the kind of Jesus we have, that's the first miracle he does. Let me show you how to, let me show you guys how to get drunk. Let me give you the good stuff. Then you have a wrong idea of, of who Jesus is. That doesn't even fit his character, who he is. 
And that would go against his word. Has Jesus ever gone against, his, against God's word? Of course, no. He came to fulfill all the law. Uh, to me, we don't see that. In another passage, Jesus says in Matthew 26, 29, But I say unto you, I will not henceforth drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is not advocating that we drink or that in heaven we'll drink fermented wine with him. New wine is fresh, fresh off the vine as fresh grape juice should be. Those are some of the areas where it's unfermented wine, and we can see that connotation as we look at it and think through it. But back to our initial verse in Proverbs 20, verse 1, it says, A wine is a mocker. That means it laughs, it scorns, it makes a fool of. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Let's consider then the raging of strong drink. It says, And strong drink is raging. Raging is a loud, troubling, wild commotion. It's like the sound of war, if you look at the definition of it. It's a ruckus. Isaiah 5.11 says this, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, and then look what it says, till wine inflame them. That's the idea of that inflaming, that tumult, that raging. Strong drink refers to uh, perhaps more heavily intoxicating drink, of course. These would quickly get someone drunk, and that's really the majority of alcohol today. So I can, I can take this much, and I can try to take it, but let's be honest, and it doesn't take just a little bit of a drink in order to start showing up in your system and affecting you in one way or another. The more, of course, the more effect on you. Many have, many have perhaps seen this verse play out in situations that you've been in. Alcohol makes a mockery of someone. It causes turmoil and fighting within and without and is responsible, as we said, for broken marriages, homes, and ruined lives. It's raging. causes contention. Nonsense, fighting, and commotion go hand in hand with strong drink. Just go anywhere where there's a big party. You're going to find there's going to be some commotion. There's going to be a ruckus. Any, any bar, any place, there's always some kind of fighting or issues that go on or debauchery that happens because senses are dulled the mind isn't thinking straight it affects you and turns you into some, someone you wouldn't normally be or act in a way you wouldn't normally act or say something that you wouldn't normally say because you don't have control over yourself we are deceived when we think we can master it when we think it doesn't affect us and we think it pleases the lord that we do and uh, to me, it's arrogant for me to say, I can master alcohol. I know what the Bible says about it. It's unwise at the very least. Drunkenness is sin. I can, I can control it. I can, I can stop whenever. I can just take one little... It's not going to affect me. I'm strong enough. That would be arrogant to do that or to say that and to go against what God has clearly told us about it. So when we think about this, here's the admonition. Don't be deceived. Alcohol of any sort has deceived many over the years and continues to laugh at, at his victims. The preacher's homiletic commentary says this about <clears throat> this passage. When we consider what havoc intoxicating drink has wrought, it is marvelous that men do not turn from it with loathing, that they are not afraid to play with so deadly and yet so treacherous an enemy to mankind. When the sailor knows there's a treacherous whirlpool in the ocean which has engulfed a thousand noble vessels, he is careful to give a wide berth to keep far beyond the outmost ring of the current. But the habit of men in general seems to be to try how near they can come to this moral and social gulf of death without being drawn beneath the waters. 
The experiment is fraught with deadly peril and is often a fatal one. It's so foolish for us to think and for any Christian to think, I know what God says about it, but I'll just get as close as I can to it and, and I won't get sucked in. <clears throat> and we make such a mistake, we're deceived by alcohol. Biblical wisdom tells us to clearly stay away from intoxicating beverages. What good comes out of it? What good comes out of it? You can talk to, for as any as say, say, ah, it's no problem, just a little social drink here and there. Oh, by the way, they can say they only take a social drink here and there, but I imagine they get drunk at times. You know, don't, let, don't let that fool you. But, but you say, oh, just a little social, for every person that says, that's okay, just a little drink here and there. I can point to many other people whose lives have been destroyed and altered by alcohol. Amen. Don't be deceived. What message does it send to others around you? If you have kids, what message does it send to your kids? So oh, they can see me take a little drink here and there. That won't matter. Oh, it'll matter when they're raging alcoholics. Now, that'll matter when their lives are destroyed. How does it glorify God or testify to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it worth it? Is it worth the risk? You know, I've, been, I've dealt with doctors and medical professionals for various reasons over the years before and often it always comes down to if there's some kind of treatment plan for a situation is is the reward worth the risk and that when it comes to alcohol it's not not even close see we are stewards for the lord of these bodies and must obey him and seek to lift them up in all our actions that brings us to another verse to remember first Corinthians. this one isn't first corinthians first corinthians ten thirty one. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. May each of us determine in our lives and in our homes to kick the deceiver out.